to Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. Oh man, what an exciting week. Uh, had a lot of stuff going on, I'm not going to lie. It's not getting any uh, less busy uh, in the Kirkpatrick house, but I honestly don't know that there'd be any other way to do it. Uh, just don't know. So, uh, anyways, folks, uh, I'm excited to get to the to the point here uh, with uh, Will Hilty because if uh, you're in the show pig industry or you're not, uh, this is a very entertaining episode nonetheless. But uh, as you know, we've got some housekeeping items uh, to run through. But before we get to that, Corey, my friend, how was your week? It was uh, it was busy. You know there. The time that folks were listening to the comeback of Stock Talk, uh, you know, I was I was recovering from the recovery. Mm. So that was my week and uh, just trying to bounce back and get things moving and prepared for uh, upcoming shows and events. And meanwhile, uh, working on a pretty cool project with um, some commercial Berkshire uh, producers and programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to have my signature on the plaque of a restaurant well. in Tokyo, Japan. What? So well, that's pretty nifty as a little pretty teaser. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the, if anybody ever travels um, over that direction, between now and whenever the restaurant closes up shop. Uh, it is the Big Iowa Barbecue in Tokyo. So That's pretty cool. Are you going yourself one of these days? Uh, I hope to. I hope to, uh, just so I can get a picture of my signature uh, on the plaque that's going to be displayed there, along with some other uh, American Berkshire Association historical uh, memorabilia and pieces that, that I'm sending that way that's so pretty cool. pretty cool yeah had a, had a big week jeff had a big week that's good pretty cool. uh, i saw a lot of good things about the recovery um gotta love the atmosphere we actually we touch on it there uh a little bit at uh in this episode so i watched it from a distance so i guess i can't say a lot uh but i enjoyed watching a national pig show i gotta say that it was one of the uh, first ones and, and we were excited to be at a national pig show there was um Obviously, participation as far as numbers goes was not overwhelming um, by any stretch. However, uh, the pigs that showed up were good. It, it, it's still tough to win a show mm-hmm. no matter where you go. And I will say, for those of you that didn't come to Des Moines and had questions on if Des Moines had any weird weather, the answer would be yes. <laughs> uh, the middle of the week, we had a monsoon of a rainstorm come in every and, time, every uh, time. Yep. 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 Got some, got some breaker boxes uh, a little wet. So we had to shut the power off to the barn just to ensure oh. that we wouldn't blow any, uh, blow anything up and uh, ruin people's equipment. And then also uh, got frigid cold the last two days. And uh, let me tell you what, for uh, apparel sales, I'm I'm glad that I brought some sweatshirts because we sold out of ABA hoodies. Well, that's convenient on the day, on the morning of the the sale and show. So <laughs> it's kind of nice for awesome. for us anyway. But anybody that that didn't get to buy an a- ABA sweatshirt, I'm sorry. You should have been in Des Moines. Got to get more made, man. Got to go to the next uh-huh. one. 
Well, I, know. Uh, I should say that the only reason I got to watch that show was because of Walton. Um, we, we all know that they do amazing stuff in every single show. It, it, I just can't get over the fact that no matter if they're at a small county fair in BFE, Idaho, or whatever, or if they're at the exposition, or if they're in Louisville, or if they're in everywhere, there, there are many places at once, and every single one is quality work. It's not like they care about where they're at and, ah, let's go to, you know, who knows where and do this. They are good every single time. So I was very thankful for the Walton crew uh, to watch the recovery from home. Yeah, uh, and I had an opportunity to jump on Walton a few times to provide some commentary, I believe, uh, for at least a couple of the, the Barra breeds for the junior show. So uh yeah always fun even when you're there uh what was unique about the iowa state fairgrounds this year is they actually have purchased in the swine barn uh eight jumbo flat screen tvs you don't say and so walton was hooked up to all those and they always had at least two tvs side by side so they were playing one ring on one tv and one ring on another and if you were sitting back at your pins you could still watch the show that's pretty and sweet. chill out in your lawn chair next to your pins and not have to even go to the show ring uh, in, at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. So just, again, innovative things that, that Walton has been able to do uh, because of, of what they do. Yeah, and always stepping that's it up. Neat. That's big time. Yep. Well, I wish they were – I uh, my, my week two was, was quite busy. Um, I just this past weekend went to – uh, I judged a show at the Tree City Pork Expo. Uh, shout out to President Tyler Johnson for uh, inviting... 2044. 2044, that's right. Uh, he invited myself and Garrett Sproul to judge side-by-side, so that was fun. Um, <laughs> speaking now of... Now, did, Gar- did you guys do Gilts and Bears separate? Or yeah, so... Uh, and it was it was made for a quick day, really. Uh, Garrett did the Gilts, I did the Bears, and then we actually even split up showmanship. Okay. With the vision. So uh, we started at 10 and got done at uh, 2.30. Didn't know if it was going to be one of those things where like two friends go and sort of show together and they don't agree and like the top five ends up weird or something, you know. No, you know, honestly, I think Garrett and I were talking. That was the fourth time that we've done a show together and it won't be the last. We'll be back in the the Hoosier State. There you go. So, um but that was fun. The only time we actually sorted anything together was showmanship since they split it up. Obviously, they wanted uh, a, a supreme showman, so um, the novice one, and she was very, very good. With a Tamworth bear, may, might I add. Hey. So, actually, I think, it was, I think it was a Tamworth, Tamworth guilt that ended up being third overall in his ring. Yeah. Oh. Must have been pretty good. It might have been the bear up. Anyway, it was a good show. Uh, the Johnson Coy crew uh, did a wonderful job. Shout out to those guys. So, anyway, uh, I loved it. It was fun. Uh, I've got project after project going. Getting new show pins made. It's an exciting thing here uh, at the Kirkpatrick House. Continuing to uh, make my what is now big shop into a big show barn. Um. And, uh, of course, Farm Bureau is always keeping me busy, moving all yep. over the world. Um, yep. But, yeah, anyway, it's uh, it's good. I'm glad that we can still sit down here for a couple hours and do this. 
uh, to keep pushing out content. Um, speaking of content, uh, showpig.com. Let's talk about our folks. They're our, our friends. Showpig.com um, is always the center point of every sale. Uh, and I've, I've got a really, I think it's a good, bad habit, but they have an equipment sale coming up at the end of the month. Um, anything from semis to uh, gates to about everything you can think. Of. I think there's 300 lots. So I don't care what species you're involved in. There's something there for you on that sale. I think it's the 22nd at that, if I remember right. Uh, but showpig.com is huge. Not just, it's a huge part of your marketing scheme, I should say. Not only is that a place where you can buy your show pigs, but they do e-blasts, if you remember us talking about this. Um, they do jumbo banners and websites, and they're doing some really cool market, uh, marketing on social media where you kind of stay in the know. Uh, they've got a blog section, so a lot of cool stuff at showpig.com. Uh, they're becoming a big part of the show this year, probably more than ever. So we're, we're pumped up about our friends there at showpig.com. You know who else is really kind of making waves in this industry, Trevor? Oh, boy. Showcattleconnection.com. That's true. Both together. And, I, and, and listen, they're, they're together. It's the Wink Group. Uh, you talk about both programs that um, ha- have just a ton of support, not only for the people selling, but for the people buying. So, again, the Wink Group as a, as a whole is uh, doing some really cool things. Um, Speaking of cool things, Trevor, it's time that we bring back the most popular segment of Stock Talk Podcast. Which is? Freedom Ship Them, Sean. Here we are. We are live with the first Breedem Ship Them Show Them of 2021. Listen, we've got this call-in feature now, and it is uh, it's quite cool to see some of the phone calls we've got in from our opening episode last week. And if you want that number, it's two three four three two zero zero four five seven. And Again, call in, leave us a freedom, ship them, show them a positive voicemail. Maybe you want to tell some dad jokes. Speaking of dad jokes, you might hear some a little later in this episode. Um, Or you just want to share some encouraging thoughts with people. You want to give a shout out to a breeder. Maybe you want to show and just want to thank them. Uh, Maybe you're a breeder and you want to uh, just get on and say, hey, keep doing some cool things uh, for those that are out there. So. Hey, speaking of dad jokes, your brother used this voicemail hotline system that we've got going on here. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I, I'm a sucker for dad jokes anyway, but this is how this number can be utilized in one of many ways. I would like some freedom ship and shows to be in there, but I'm going to give you guys a little bit of taste about what Tanner Edge did on our hotline. What's up, Stock Talk Nation? This is Tanner Edge here, I'm Corey's brother. Uh, first off, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Corey and Trevor. Um, I think what you guys are doing is phenomenal for the livestock industry and all the youth. Um, we can all take something away from your podcast, whether it's a smile or a laugh or 
a piece of knowledge that we uh, didn't have before. So thank you so much for what you guys are doing. And also, thank you for putting this hotline out there for all of us um, listeners to jump on and to um, have a chance to do what I'm doing right now. And that is taking advantage of my obsession with dad jokes and hopefully making people some uh, some people laugh or or maybe uh, smile a little bit. So I'm going to tell you one of my awful uh, dad jokes uh, that I just recently put in my bank. Uh, so what are goosebumps for? To slow the geese down. But on a more serious note, um, before I jump off here today, uh, let's make sure that we're all just being positive and and sharing some uh, kind words, um, nice gestures, even a helping hand to others around us whenever we can. Um, the, the more positive positivity that we put in uh, people's lives around us, the better our community will be and the better our world will be. Um, so uh, just keep that in mind as you go throughout your day. You'll ne- you never know. Um, what those kind words or that helping hand might do for somebody uh, to to turn their day into a great day. So um, thank you all so much, um, and I hope everyone has a wonderful day. And, uh, Corey, Trev, keep doing what you're doing. Well, thank you, Mr. Tanner Edge. Not only a good dad joke, but also some encouraging words. So who knows? This deal could go many different ways. I kind of like it. Anyhow, breed them, ship them, show them. We're still waiting for a sponsor for this segment, by the way, in 2021. So if you're out there and interested, uh, this is this is pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, all right, Kirky, this is going to be maybe a little bit more challenging on this one. We are we are show pig uh, episode, show pig show season. So we're going to go with a pig based breed them, ship them, show them. This one comes from uh, McLean on Snapchat. McLean from Illinois. Thank you uh, for your entry to breed them, ship them, show them. McLean has actually entered a few before. Uh, Solid. Appreciate it. We have yet to read one. So here, here it is. Okay. Brace yourself. Show big people. Now I've got three purebred boars. Mm-hmm. I've got a legend of a red boar named iconic the $97,000 Weisinger boar. I believe that was at expo circa what Trev 2012, 13. Ooh, maybe before that even, I don't know. Yeah. I had to go back and look anyhow. Uh, while you do some research on that, I'll tell you who the other two are. Uh, the next one is shattered. Who happens to be the record-selling Berkshire boar from the Mock family that uh, stood at PBG? So um, keep that one in mind. And then just this past summer in 2020, there was a Yorkshire boar that sold for $300,000. His name happens to be Jasper, and that'd be from the Rotoball family. So three boars that have uh, not only made significant uh, waves in as far as 
money bringing in is concerned? Uh, just uh, from their sales? I think we're over a half a million dollars. How, yep, 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 for sure. Uh, so you got a half a million dollars worth of boars here. We're trying to breed one, ship one, show one. So do we ever figure out what your iconic was? I'm searching. We need a, we need a guy. We need a girl to, to sit here and do the things for us. Yeah. You would think Google at this stage in the game would be, um, I mean, I'm sitting here typing in, uh, I mean, maybe it's bad as a show pig guy that not even know that, but, um, well, we, we need a, we need a searcher. You know what I mean? We need a, I don't know. Well, listen, iconic, iconic was the sire of many, uh, I believe. Extremely Here we go. Good. 2016. There you go. 2016. So, oh my, we got a lot of, we got a lot of heat in this deal. And, yep. uh, I would I would like to think where I know where Mr. Edge would go with this. But the only thing that I can think if you're asking me breed one ship one show one I'm going with breeding Jasper just because I think there's a little bit more versatility making crosses, you know, obviously Yorkshire deal you can you can utilize that one kind of fresh off the press, the newest one. I'll do that one. Show okay. and shattered. I mean, for Christ's sake, let's show that one again for fun. Uh, yeah. I, I I enjoyed watching that one in person anyway. And I guess that means I've got a ship iconic, which, whoa, to even say that. But uh, I guess the only reason that I'm saying that is he's the most uh, outdated. Is that the right word, maybe? Yeah, you know, I mean, you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, now, Iconic is the sire of Impeccable. Impeccable goes back to a lot of Duroc pedigrees. If you think about that. Uh-huh. Uh, Impeccable, I actually believe, was um, another Weisinger bred. Yep. Big. But anyway, uh, listen. I'm probably... I'm probably going to ship iconic as well. And only because I would maybe consider shelling iconic. However, when Jasper brings $300,000, that's the one I'm going to show. Wow. Cash in, get my 300 K. I'm going to breed shattered because knowing what we know currently, there's so many sons and daughters out there semen sold on shattered that I, that's I'm and I listen I'm not just wearing my Berkshire hat here I'm going to probably get called out for that and some of you are just <laughs> going to say you know Corey's picking the Berkshire because he's you know employed um I probably would still do the same thing even if we were doing stock talk breed them ship them show them two years ago right uh, this probably had to because I want to cash in on the three hundred thousand dollar Yorkshire bore and then uh there's so many, there's so many good, you know, red boars that have gone through show rings in the past. I don't know if showing iconic would just like really do it for me. Uh, but shattered, you know, having that one to breed everything in the barn too. Yep, that's that's where I'm at. I like it, and I would take the money that I got from 
Jasper and pay for Shattered. So there yeah. you go. I really hope we can get folks to call in on these. I think it'd be so fun to hear their comments, how they portray it. Uh, so make sure you write down that number and uh, shoot us a voicemail because it's fun. Again, that number, 234-320-0457. Mr. Edge, let's get to the meat potatoes. I'm super jacked up to introduce Mr. Will Hilty, but nobody can do it until Corey Edge does it. So take it away. A guy from Western Pennsylvania that got his start in the livestock industry by trimming hooves on cattle. Not many people know that this man also lived in a house built by Germans with a two-door system that breaks some heritage back to that part of the world. Not many people know also that Will Hilty has an extremely interesting way to manage and breed sows and retain females and build sow herds. So if you don't know about any of those things, we're going to talk about it coming up. Here we go. Introducing Mr. Will Hilty. Through the grapevine, Trevor and I have each kind of got a little bit of a history of your background and maybe that you uh you're kind of the godfather of the pennsylvania uh east coast growth and and boom in the show pig world um it's kind of funny because i had a chance uh to judge a show in new york with tyler gratter and we went and got to see um a boar pig who has a pretty neat story that you're a part of um at uh, rodney spindler's place and, okay. uh, and so that's, uh, I got a, got a little feel for, uh, for maybe some, some dealings that you've had in the past, uh, as far as getting show pigs moved and, uh, that, uh, that boar he has, boy, I forget his name. Was it, uh, wasn't code blue, something baby blue, probably baby blue. That was it. Yep. 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 Yeah. So he, t- he told us that story is pretty wild. So um yeah <laughs> so um but anyway so give us uh give us a little background will about yourself where you grew up um how and how you got your start in the show pig world yeah um i grew up in in mount pleasant pennsylvania which is kind of like uh the southwest corner of the state uh, basically right off of i-70 i can see interstate 70 from my house uh, my wife and I and, and our two daughters live on the same farm that, that I grew up on as a kid. Uh, was my grandparents' farm, and, and my dad lived here also. Um, spent a lot of time with my grandparents growing up, and, and we always had hogs on the farm, um, predominantly purebred hogs. Uh, we had Durox at one time, Hampshire's at one time, even a few Polands. for the pig deal was was being exposed to it a young at a young age uh, uh, through my grandparents and, and my father and and I guess that's uh, that's what got the ball rolling and then obviously as I as I grew up uh, uh, through the 4-H program showed pigs throughout 4-H and cattle and even had a few sheep one year so um, just kind of been ate up with it uh, since I was a little kid. 
That's all the, the multi-species approach. That's something I didn't know about Will Hilty. That's kind of cool. Uh, well, I've, I've judged a lot in Pennsylvania, and uh, it was super late notice, and it tells you just kind of the, the people who don't know Will. Uh, this is kind of the guy he is. I, was, uh, I think it was the morning after a show and asked if I could stop by and uh, do a herd visit, and uh, he said, yeah, no problem. Uh, but when you said that you you grown up on the same farm uh, that your parents have, describe the the old wood building. Uh, I know this is like a side street here, but it's really it's a it's an original building that's on the farm that has the two front doors. And you were kind of describing about how I don't know that when that thing was built, but I think do you know what the one I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that the old original farmhouse that my grandparents lived in is is still here and that's actually the house that that i grew up in it's it's an old um log house and there was a guy here one day that that had a little bit of a a background in these these older log houses and on the front of the house there's there's two doors and i never knew what the doors were were for you know when i was a kid that's that's what uh i considered air conditioning in the summer (laughs) we'd open those two doors and get some airflow through there but he, he, he began to tell me that, that um, the house was probably built by old Germans and old Germans lived in it. And they had a superstition that they went in one door and out another door. They didn't go in and out the same door. They had an indoor and an outdoor. Um, and, and he dated it back 200 years just by the fact of those two doors. And, and they used to do it that way for, for whatever reason that um, two separate doors that they used to go in and out of the house. So that, that house is actually, um, still here. And, and like I said, it's a, a log house with some wood siding on it. It's, it's kind of getting in rough shape right now. Um, but we're actually, we're building a little bar in, in the basement of our new house. We're getting close to getting it done. And we've, we've taken some of the wood off that old house and incorporated it into that little bar that we're building in the basement. So I think it'll have a, a neat touch and, and neat story and be able to um, take some of the old and put it in the new. That is awesome. Have a little history behind it. I'm sure you guys did not continue the tradition of the indoor and the outdoor, um, but it might be something. No, we don't. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's an odd deal, and that's the first time I had ever heard of that. But uh, And I don't know whether the guy was, was full of crap or, or not, but <laughs> uh, I guess he wouldn't really have any reason to be, and, and it's only um, somewhat logical explanation explanation that i've ever heard for the the two doors that are i mean they're legitimately side by side that's hilarious i thought that was when you told that the first time i thought that was super interesting um but no i I wanted to dig in a little bit about your background uh because honestly um up until will hilty was doing this thing uh consistently I, i don't know that there was a lot of competitive show pigs in pennsylvania uh that's nothing towards you know, the people there now or anything like that, but you know, time, uh, times change and that kind of thing. So, um, just take a step back and, uh, just think about when you were first getting started. Um, you know, obviously you had a passion with your livestock background, showing the, uh, the, the sheep and some of the cattle with your family in that farm. But what were some of the steps that you took as, you know, a very young kid that was getting started in the deal? Um, how did you, grow to kind of where you are today yeah um as i was like you know when i was a kid uh, i alluded to the the fact that we had uh you know mainly purebred hogs all purebred hogs at that point 
Um, and it was kind of an old school oper- operation where we bred sows uh, uh, naturally. You know, we'd go to some of those production production sales every fall, and and you know, if we needed a Duroc boar, you bought a Duroc boar and you bred every sow to him. And then you know, the the next fall, you went and bought another boar and and you bred every sow to him, and it was just a continuous cycle. And and uh, that's that's kind of where I got my start. And then as I progressed through my show career. Um, you know, the, the, the Petrin in influence started to kind of surface, you know, probably in my early teens. Um, and by the time I got to, to, uh, towards the end of my 4-H career, we were starting to breed a few sows, AI, um, started to buy a few pigs. And, and I guess that's where my, um, true interest and, and spark or passion for it really came from those, those last couple of years in the 4-H, uh, deal as I, uh, got got the opportunity to go to to more sales, and we started to breed a few sows AI, and and just the ability to to be able to diversify just a little bit and and do and try some different things. So, who would you say the biggest like influences were on you at that time when you were kind of making that transition? You know, phasing out of your show career into gaining more interest in wanting to maybe pursue something a little bigger. Yeah. I don't know that I can just, just nail it down to, to, to one or two people because I felt like, um, you know, the, the neat thing, uh, in my opinion about pig people and, 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 uh, um, I guess mentors or people that you look up to are, are always willing to be open and, and maybe, uh, uh, give you some things that, that you could work on or give you some ideas. But I guess, you know, some of the bigger names uh, uh, back then were, you know, obviously uh, High Point was was big with uh, um, some of the '99 stuff and those those Hampshire influenced uh, uh, boars, and then you know, obviously like uh, Dolums was big back then. Um, I, I showed a champion guild at my county fair one time ever, and, and she was an alley cat. Hmm. Um, so that's that's going way back about 20 years, uh, Dulham's high point. Um, and, and I'm sure I'm missing several, you know, McCoy's were big, uh, back then and, and still are today. Um, but that was some of the early days, you know, probably back around pistol peak time. Um, when, when the Piatrin stuff really started to, um, take the, take the show pig thing in a, in a whole different direction and, and, and make some just wilder looking, uh, different stuff maybe than than what we had ever seen before i think you brought up alley cat i think there's quite a few people that would pay a significant amount of money to own one of the original alley cat ball caps that came out at the time um i know several people that own one that brag about it continuously uh, via snapchat so yeah. i don't know what it takes to get a hold of an old alley cat hat but that sure uh, sure was a bore back in the day that people were pretty hot on yeah, that that alley cat, and then those alley cat sons. That was kind of the front end of of, of me getting started, or or toward the end of my show, you know, 4-H uh, career and, and my personal showing career. And uh, it wasn't long after I was done showing, you know, when I decided that I wanted to pursue this thing pretty hard. And uh, um, I drove to the exposition one year, and, and uh, I left the exposition and, and went down and visited some some good buddies of mine in Oklahoma, Mark Gray and, and Willie Kirkpatrick, and um, 
you know, visited with those guys for a day or so. And then we all hopped in the truck together and, and rolled, uh, rode down to Rory's to Dome's and, and, and look through those boards. And I think that was kind of, you know, by the time we got to that point, it was kind of toward the tail end of the, the alley cat stuff. But that is till this day, you know, I've been a lot of places to look at pigs and, and talk to a lot of pigs with people. That was one of my absolute most, favorite pig visits and, and places to ever go in my my life i think that uh you know what that guy did in 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 his heyday and and obviously still making some competitive ones but but what he did and the way they dominated um at a very high level for a long time was impressive but he was just so uh down to earth when you got to meet him and and some of the stories you told about when he was getting started it was just really cool to hear how he got his start and, and, and kind of, you know, maybe ignited a, a flame or thought that, Hey, maybe, maybe I can do this thing or, or get started and get the ball rolling because, you know, the way he made it sound that, that he kind of built his from ground zero and, and just, and I'd been back several times after that. And, you know, you go there and you maybe spend 30 minutes, 40 minutes or, or an hour or whatever, looking at pigs. And then if you've got time and he's got time, he'll sit around, for the next four or five hours and just tell story after story. And, and, uh, uh, I've enjoyed a lot of hog visits, but some of those ones to Rory's were, were, were sure high on the list and, and some of my personal favorites. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, hogs come and go to a certain extent. You know, we, we talk about the, the, the iconic ones like, you know, the other cat stuff and all that, but man, the folks who, who take the time to make it an actual visit and not just a drop by and kind of, you know, hey, here's the hogs, you know, got to go, see you later. Uh, boy, that makes it worth it. And especially if you're going to clear down to Oklahoma to, to do that. But, no, that, that's awesome. And uh, I, I think it's it's kind of neat to relay that kind of back to, to your story and, and knowing a little bit of the background. But uh, for maybe some of those that don't know uh, some of the key points, what, were, what would you say would be looking back on uh, the timeline of your career, were some of your aha moments, if you will, like what's those things that like, man, I, I purchased this animal or I went, maybe Rory's is one, but went somewhere that just absolutely stood out. And I can attest that that moment is one of the reasons why I kind of stair step myself up. Yeah. I think that, that there'd be, you know, several instances like that and, and just maybe just, to back up a little bit, uh, uh, you know, I, I came out of high school and, and worked a few few odd jobs for about a year, and and then uh, I'd always taken a little bit of an interest in, you know, when I showed steers through 4-H and the, the hoof trimmer would come around. I always thought that that was kind of a a neat gig, and and one day he was there, and and you know he was telling me he'd been so and so and done this many cows, and I asked him, you know, I said, what do you what do you charge a cow? And it was. 10 bucks a head or something. And I did the math real quick in my head. And I thought, man, that sounds like a, a pretty good gig right there that a guy could make a little money. So when I was 19, uh, I bought my own hoof trimming table and started a little hoof trimming business. Um, and, and that was, I feel like that, um, you know, some of the experiences I made just in terms of um, being around livestock and maybe gaining some real world livestock experience and, and, uh, studying structure and maybe trying to figure out why cow walked the way she did or whatever, I think related to some of my, my successes in the pig deal. Um, but it was also the perfect combination of, 
if there was a pig show to go to or there were sows to farrow or, or whatever it may be, sows to breed, that, that I could kind of schedule around that with, with, you know, being able to make my own schedule. And, and you could make pretty good money at it, to be honest. And, and every little bit of money that, that I made in that, I, I started to reinvest in the pigs and didn't spend a, a ton on facilities. We kind of had bare bones facilities when I was getting started, but third sows and pens bedded with straw. Um, and, and, you know, as we progressed, started to, to build a few facilities and, and make things easier. Um, but I guess one of the things that I felt like, uh, you know, springboarded the, the pig thing for me was probably, um, I think it's been about 14 years ago, we had our first spring pig sale. Um, and I, up until that point, I had never sold a pig for, for more than a thousand bucks. Uh, I sold one pig off the farm for a thousand bucks one time and just thought it was an astronomical amount of money. Um, and, and at that time just had a few sows and, and, and was trading a lot of pigs to kind of meet demand where I didn't have pigs to, to, to fit the deal before we uh, got numbers worked up to, to the point where we, uh, um, could have, you know, have enough sows to have a sale and, and have a pig crop. And, and like I said, it was about 14 years ago, we had our first spring pig sale and I, I can't remember exactly what it averaged, but we sold right around a hundred pigs and, and there was one pig that brought 4,000. Um, and up until that point, the highest one we'd ever sold was, was a thousand bucks when we were doing it all private treaty. And that just kind of made the light bulb go off that, Hey, there is demand for these things in, in this neck of the woods. And if we make them good enough and, and treat people right and, and treat them the way we'd want to be treated that, that, Hey, maybe this can be, um, bigger and, and better than, than maybe we ever imagined it could be. Mm. So I guess that, that first pig sale kind of maybe lit that light bulb that, Hey, this, this, this deal could get pretty big. Let's, I want to talk more about that first sale. So when, when you guys are starting to kick off, you know, 14 years ago, you know, we, we had social media, but it probably wasn't used as heavily as it is now, as far as marketing goes. And, and, you know, you guys kind of being in a different part of the world, as far as like driving, getting people that, that want to make the trip out to Pennsylvania to look at hogs, how, what, what was your strategy there getting, making sure you had the right crowd to, to offer those, those for that first sale group to. Yeah. I, I, I felt like we had built uh, a fairly substantial customer base through some of our, our private treaty deals and, and trading a few pigs. Um, to the point where, you know, you could figure, Hey, so-and-so needs four pigs. So-and-so needs six pigs. And, and you could kind of count in the back of your head, maybe about how many pigs you could sell. Uh, and that's maybe how we gauge that. And, and then as far as advertisement, uh, we just had some flyers put together and, and kind of, um, mailed them to everyone we thought might be interested. And, and I think, uh, um, our jackpot circuit over here maybe had a mailing list and, and we got a hold of that and then maybe got a hold of some extension mailing list and um, just mailed those flyers out. And I mean, I was nervous as, as could be leading up to that thing thinking, um, man, this, this might be a flop and maybe we have too many pigs and, and it's not going to be good. And, and it was um, by those, those standards in that day, it was, it was tremendous and it was still probably, uh, more of a regional thing compared to what it is now. It was, you know, um, probably Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, 
uh, and maybe Maryland were probably the only states we were reaching at that point. And, you know, um, fast forward 14 years, I, I think we've got them um, scattered about all over the country this spring from our from our main sale. Uh, and then some of the online sales we've had pretty much got them to, to every corner of the country. Hmm. I think that that right there is crazy. I mean, to think you were nervous on your first one and, and trying to get a hold of local uh, mailing list and then exploding it into the um, to the national level. I'd like to take a second and tell the world about somebody that they already know about, Mr. Tarbell, marketing and design. I'm telling you, Jace Tarbell does the things well. Marketing, he gets you logos, he can do everything. All you got to do is hit him up. Go to choosetmd.com. And search the wonderful services that Mr. Jace Tarbell is doing. He's changing the game, folks. That's why he's on our team and our platform. Jace Tarbell, Tarbell Marketing and Design. Look him up. Let's get back to the action. Do you think that that was your your jump into the national scene? Was that just because you were consistently getting better and better? Or was there one year that just brought you outside of the borders of the Midwest or what, what, how did that happen just to, or, or was it a series of years, I guess, you know, how did you jump into, to cover in every state in the country? You know, I, I felt like the year that, that our thing got to be, um, more than kind of a regional based market was, um, kind of springboarded. We don't have any more. Well, we have a few Yorkshire show gills that I purchased for my, for my oldest daughter to show, but uh, Yorkshire's were a big part of our program back in that day. Um, and, and there was a year that uh, we had a, a litter of pigs sired by night trip uh, on a Captain 61 2 sow that had originated, originated from Cedar Ridge. Um, I got that sow, bred her to night trip, and, and by those, you know, for that time, I thought just a tremendous litter of Yorkshire's. Um, I leased a guild out. We fed a boar that summer, took that boar to Indiana. Uh, he ended up bringing like 12,000 top cut, bought that boar. Um, but then the, the kind of where I'm going with this story, there was this lease guilt that had went to Oklahoma. Um, and I wasn't going to be able to get her back until Duncan. Um, and, and obviously wanted her bread before I got her back. And, and she was at a friend of mine's place. And, and, you know, he said, Hey, this guilt's coming in heat. What do you What do you want me to breed her to? And I said, Well, breed her to moonshine. Yeah. I think that would that would suit this guilt real well because she was um, good looking and stout, but probably needed just a little more rib body and 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 maybe fleshing ability. Um, so we got her bred to to moonshine, and then she got hurt, and I got her at Duncan, and I mean, she looked like an absolute pal crap. She was skinny. She was three legged. But she was bred to moonshine, um, so I got her home, uh, had her in isolation, and she just really wasn't going to fit, um, you know, our, our farrowing schedule, and, and we were tight for crates. So I had a, I had a buddy asking me that that he wanted to buy a Yorkshire bred gilt. So I said, yeah, I'm, I've got this one. She's kind of rough looking, but I think she's bred real good. I'll I'll sell you this bred gilt um, for six hundred bucks, and I I want pick of the gilts. Um, so he agreed to it, um, Farrowed or I, I don't remember exactly how many pigs she had, but I went over to pick my guild out, uh, and got her picked out. And there was this little boar pig running around and I thought, man, what, what is that thing? What do you want to do there 
Chuck and it was Chuck Kiefer, a, a good friend of mine. And he said, Oh, I don't know what, whatever you think. And I said, well, here's the deal. Um, I think we could grow that boar up and, and use him ourselves some and, and make some progress and, and make good pigs and, and who knows where, where it might lead. Um, and he had given 600 bucks for the sow. So I said, let's, let's be three-way partners on this. The, the, the guy that had the guilt and showed her in Oklahoma was Mark Gray. I said, Mark's going to give you 750. I'm going to give you 750. So you're going to get 1500. You're going to pay for your sow three times over and you're still going to own a third. He said, okay, that sounds great. We grew the boar up and, and he, there was just always something different looking about that boar, his head, his skull, his rib cage and his proportions at that time, he was just so short bodied and boxy. Um, and we, we all bred just a handful of sows to him that, that first fall. Um, and I bred mainly crossbred sows to him and, and those pigs, when we fared them next spring, those, those crossbreds were some of our high sellers. I had a, a Yorkshire gilt winter class at, um, Indiana state fair that brings like 1900. Mark Gray had a Yorkshire board at Indiana that year out of him that brought 31,000 that ended up being daddy says at Wintex. And we all had a few sows bred back to him for like summer litters that fall. Well, that's when it really took off is when we had those summer litters. Um, Mark had the champion weanling at Duncan, which would have been maker's Mark that brought like 5,500. I had a weanling pig at Duncan that year that ended up being like 10th Yorkshire out. He was way, way down the sale line. It was probably um, you know, at that point, Duncan was still huge. It was probably about midnight when that little pig sold and he brought 37,000. Wow. That was shoot the moon <laughs> out of that $600 bread gill. <laughs> so then um, I felt like that's when things exploded and, and we started to get a little national recognition. So the, the boar that I've been telling you about the whole time was moonshine 17.4. Wow. So after that, that's when we had that fall crop of pigs and I sold shoot the moon at Duncan. Um, then we turned around, sell moonshine 17, four to Swenson for 45,000. Um, so I, I guess I felt like that was the big springboard of, Hey, we've heard a little bit of buzz about what this guy maybe has going on. Maybe we need to get over there and check it out. Maybe we need to invite him to come to our pig sale in Texas. That's when I got my first invite to start to go to a few of those pig sales was just kind of mainly springboarded by that that pig in Duncan that was that was shoot the moon. And by the way, these hogs don't cost six hundred dollars anymore. <laughs> oh man, no, they don't. <laughs> um, that was and when you, I mean, it's just kind of one of those once in a you know probably once in a lifetime deals. But uh, you know, you got to position yourself and and be able to capitalize on it when it comes along, and and just everything worked out just right that. Uh, uh, everybody involved, uh, you know, made out real well on it. And, you know, I, I, they'd be getting real old now, but I, I, there was a long time there that you'd see that moonshine 17.4 in pedigrees, particularly, mm -hmm. you know, on the bottom side of, of Yorkshire pedigrees. And, and man, I sure wish there was some of it frozen, which there isn't, because I think that uh, uh, for what we're trying to do now, that thing would still be relevant and, and maybe be able to make some progress today in the Yorkshire breed. No doubt. Stories like that are the reason we do this podcast. And I feel like everybody needs, everybody needs a moonshine 17 for story in their life. 
And I feel like a lot of the successful guys and gals out there that have been doing it a while have a similar story, but man, it's, uh, you know, finding that one piece that like you called it the springboard to kind of take you to the next level is, um, you know, something I think everybody's striving to find and, uh, you might have to pay a pretty penny for the next breeding piece, or you might have to sell a $600 Yorkshire bread guild. <laughs> you just never know. Yeah. You, you never know. And I, I think that, um, and this is no disrespect towards any of the other species. I think that the pig, the pig thing, everybody's got a chance in it. Um, you know, I feel like you can still, find that hidden gem whether it's maybe a guilt that you buy at a county fair or whatever and with the access that we all have to 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 the top-notch boars and 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 whatnot that i feel like it's easier maybe in the pig thing for somebody to catch lightning in a bottle than than what it is in any other species and and even you know for the families showing these things i i think that it's still you know it's still possible to find that green skinny barrel that maybe costs 500 or 750 and 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 but he's out of a damn good sow and and somebody's got some faith in him and he gets real good home i I think you can still find one of those and and go win a big show somewhere whether it's a state fair or or whatever i think that that dream is is still alive and well in the pig thing in my opinion oh totally agree and and i have that conversation a lot with other folks like you know of course the favorite one that that goes for three four five plus thousand dollars you know, everybody likes that hog, but do your homework and, and study the, the brothers and sisters of that same litter that might go for a quarter or less than that. You know, it, it price only determines ownership. And, you know, of course, the favorite ones are going to go for expensive, but you get you get them managed right, like you said. You find them in the right home, uh, and they're still good hogs. You know, they may take a little longer. They may be a little greener, but... It can get discouraging for some of these families that, you know, come springtime or, you know, pig buying time and it just every hog they want blows way past their budget, but have faith in some of those green ones. And it's, it's nice to have, you know, a Will Hilty that helps you uh, to kind of say, hey, you know, let's get some faith in, you know, the green brother over here that's going to bring under 1500 or whatever it may be nowadays. So I totally agree with that, you know. Yeah. I guess just to kind of springboard off of the, the point you just made, I would I would encourage people to, um, you know, build some personal relationships with breeders or, or maybe somebody that trades pigs that, that understands those pedigrees and, and maybe what that sow's done in the past, uh, uh, where you can get some of those things that, that, that are maybe um, not quite as high profile that, that still have a damn good chance to feed. Uh, they can kind of get you steered steered towards some of those that, that, that can maybe help you achieve your goals or, or have some success. Yeah. Yep. No doubt. So, uh, I think as, as much as anything, you know, talking about your, your sow herd and maybe some of your strategies and, and how you've kind of built your program over the years is something I know Trevor and I wanted to dive into just because I think it's, it's so unique that you know how you started farrowing sows it was just more of a hey let's let's let the sows be sows they're gonna farrow we don't have the facilities to have you know a, a nice you know farrowing crate system set up and anything like that so uh, obviously the show pig game has changed a bunch since then 
But, uh, you know, what are some of your management practices when it comes to, um, you know, sound selection and, and just maybe knowing, knowing the right times to, uh, to move off of a certain sound line or, you know, continue to build here and there. Um, tell us a little bit about how you kind of manage your sounds. I guess as far as, um, you know, sound selection and, and kind of maybe the way we, we build our sow herd, uh, I developed, um, you know, some real good relationships with, with cattle people through the hook trimming thing. Uh, and I got the opportunity to, to, to make some connections with some, some guys that, uh, had some real good Angus cattle and still do. And I was always fascinated to listen to those guys talk about cow families and, and, uh, um, you know, flush mates or, or whatever it may be. But I, I just, uh, I was fascinated by the concept of, of cow families. And I felt like you maybe didn't talk about a, a ton of that in the pig world. It was more about what boars you were using than, than, um, you know, maybe what your sows were and, and what their lineage was. And I guess that it was kind of a cattle based approach that, uh, you know, hey, everybody's got the, the same access to the boars. Let's identify the best females that, that we can and the best ones we can afford and, and try to build um, sow families around those. And, and once we identify the ones that are going to work and, and then create some consistency within our pig crop and, and, and maybe know how we need to, to breed those, those sows and, and what their strengths and weaknesses were. So I, I think that, you know, early on we – um, you know, it was a female focused, uh, deal. We were going to get the best sows that we could, whether they were high dollar or, or whether they were something that, that maybe, um, you know, came from somebody else's successful sow family. Um, so that's how we kind of got, got started. Um, and, and, you know, one thing that we've always tried to do is, with our selection is, is, um, Sows need to be built good, and and I think any species of livestock needs to be built good and and be good from a a, a structural standpoint, and and that's how we we tried to select our sows. Um, and as far as facilities and and how we manage those sows, our our sows until this still to this day are are out on dirt lots. Um, they stay out there year round. Um, which, which certainly has some advantages. I think it's good for the sows. I think maybe they last just a little longer on those dirt lots, but it, but it also creates some, some headaches, um, you know, when there's 15 or 20 sows to breed and it's been raining for a week straight and they're riding each other out in those dirt lots. Uh, it certainly creates some, some challenges from that, that perspective. Um, but I still like keeping them out there, being able to see them walk around in, in that environment uh, i think it's just pretty neat anybody that's ever been here to to look at sows i think sure enjoys their time here and, and seeing those sows in that environment i i am definitely one of those people i like i said you took the time out of your day to uh to walk me through those sows and, and show me some of the the legendary females you got there and which we'll get into here next but i uh i loved it there was one hot wire uh that we unhooked or maybe stepped over and that's what was keeping those girls in. And, uh, boy, you're right. There's something about – and I think that's why the cattle people love to, to have those front pasture cows. You know, you pull into your place and you see them out in the yard or, you know, you go out back and you can kind of study those things, just kind of see them in their own environment. But it is. It, it's If you've never been to, to Hilti's place, uh, it's almost a beautiful thing. They're out just kind of – I don't even want to say roughing it because they love their life out there. 
Uh, they just kind of float and motor. They have to be good built. And uh, I really enjoyed my time there. And uh, whenever that was last, I think it was last summer. So what happens when a livestock producer and a photographer fall in love? Well, they create the nation's leading photography and marketing business. That's what they do. Legacy Livestock Imaging was founded in 2011 by Charles and Heidi Anderson. I had a, an opportunity to spend quite a bit of time with Charles and Heidi at the recovery in Des Moines, Iowa. And let me tell you what, Charles has a luscious beard currently going with a curly mustache. And I hope he doesn't lose that the rest of the summer. And only because Charles is the ultimate uh, editor and gets things out the door at Legacy Livestock Imaging, which tells you that you need to have them on your team when you are booking shows, sales, events, weddings, senior pictures, don't care. Uh, have them come to your event and take pictures. They're quality people with quality imagery. Folks, visit LegacyLivestockImaging.com. Go check out their galleries. And there's some really, really cool stuff to find on there as well. We'll get back to the action, Mr. Will Hilty. Uh, speaking of sows, though, we, we couldn't go throughout this podcast to uh, to kind of promote some of your, your key sow lines. And anybody who's kind of followed the Hilty program, I believe it was the 27 liters uh, sow and, and that kind of lineage. So uh, share with those that maybe don't have that uh, knowledge some of those blue sows that you've got incorporated in, in some of your, your lineage now. Yeah, there was, uh, I guess that, that sow line started at Expo. I think it was, uh, about eight years ago at Expo. Um, when Expo, you know, it was kind of the front end of the, the big boom at Expo, you know, where the, um, before they added a few days to it and, and the shows were going on until two and three in the morning. Um, it was just huge back then, but I, I felt like I was, I was looking to, um, add another piece and, and there was a guilt that, that I just absolutely, um, fell in love with when I watched the open show. She was kind of an off belted guilt that, uh, um, some of the Dylan Evans crew had back at that time. If you remember when those guys were showing a lot of hogs, they were very competitive stock and, and always really well presented, but there was this off belted guilt that, that I just absolutely fell in love with. Um, her build, her proportions, she was huge ribbed, huge bodied, still real attractive, had just an incredible um, kind of hind leg in her. Um, and her pedigree was a solid monster, a hillbilly bow. So that, that guilt that uh, I fell in love with at Expo that year um, came sale time. Uh, I was bowed up and, and ready to try to get her bought. Uh, and it took every penny that I had at that point probably to get her bought uh, she ended up costing like 7,500 bucks, which probably doesn't sound like a whole lot with the way some of these things have been selling here over the last couple of weeks. But at that time, that was a, a huge investment for me. And, and like I said, I think that was pretty much every penny that I, that I had to my name when I bought that sow. Um, first litter, I bred her to Colt 45. Um, and those pigs were real good. There were a couple of gilts that got along real successful on the jackpot circuit. I was fortunate enough to get one of those back. Um, in her gilt litter, I bred her to Skywire. Um, and that would have been the, the 27 litter sows. Um, we sold them all on our pig sale. Um, and I think 
there were five guilds and every one of them got a piece of a county fair. Uh, one of them ended up being champion cross guilt at the Eastern Regional. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get all five of them gathered back up. And 27-4 um, um, raised reserve hemp in Austin one year. She was probably the first one to leave. And then there was 27-6, which was a – she was the only belted one. Um, she raised a boar that was at high point for a little while called out of mind. And then there was 27-1, which in her guilt litter – uh, bred her to a boar called Boardwalk, which was um, a fortune son out of that same solid monster hillbilly bone sow that would have been the grandmother of the Skywire sows. Um, and she had one pig in her first litter, <laughs> and that pig would have been Baby Blue, which we ended up selling off the farm for 70000 to Spindler. Um, and then about two or three years later, we sold 27 one in the first ever exchange for 29,000. Um, then there was 27 two, which she was the one that was the, um, champion cross guild at Eastern regional that year. She raised the reserve grand bear at OIE in 2019. Jesus. And then 27 eight is the last one. She is actually still here and bred back. She's a 2015 model. Um, she has probably been the most influential one in terms of her daughters and, 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 you know, getting daughters kept back, but still raised some really competitive barrows. Um, three years ago, she raised the champion light cross at Ohio, which ended up being third overall. The next year she missed out at Ohio, but had two class winners, had a class winner at Indy. And then just this past year, she raised that uh, Christ bear that was champion light cross that was uh, third overall at uh, OIE. And I, I think we've got six or eight, maybe 10 direct daughters of her. But if you go through our sow herd and, and you know, I catch myself doing it a lot of times when sows are in the Farron house, I'll kind of go back through and, 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 you know, say, we've got 12 crates in each house and and a lot of times when those crates are full there'll be nine or ten sows that trace back to that solid monster hilly bone sow or to those 27 litter skywire sows so it's uh, the impact that that one sow and sow family had on our program is is just been monumental um i always joke with people that if it wasn't for those um, 27 litter sows I'd, I'd probably have a day job in town somewhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I could imagine so how when you've got those those females that you keep back you're retaining those guilts out of those sow families what's your thought process when it comes to mating decisions because there's so many boars that are out there available to use at your fingertips how how do you prioritize or or what do you do when you're thinking about how to make these things you know to go and make competitive show bears and, and guilts that you could keep back in a program yeah you know it, it uh, as we talk about the 27 liter skywire sows we at that point we didn't have um facilities to, to grow a lot of gilts out so we typically sold all of them or, or leased them out or depending upon depending upon time of year so we didn't really retain a lot of gilts and to be honest with you we really couldn't afford to we needed to sell them to make things cash flow and, and make it work um 
but you know, obviously we were able to get some of those bought back or, 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 or however, get them back. And, uh, um, I guess we would just, you know, try to, to select boars that would complement those sows. But I think when you, the neat thing about when you get sow lines like that identified and, 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 and sows that, that, that seem to just kind of hit every time I, I got a little saying that, uh, you know, like that 27, eight that I referenced, I don't know that she ever had a bad litter of pigs. There's certain styles that you could breed to a billy goat and they're going to have good pigs every time. <laughs> and I, I think that, you know, when you can identify that sow line and, and build around those, uh, um, you know, and obviously there's boars that, that clicked and worked better on them. Um, but you know, there's, there's just those certain ones that come along that hell, it doesn't really matter what you breed them to. They're going to have good pigs. Yeah, I can, it can get super overwhelming. I mean, I can only imagine, especially if you get up in numbers and having to run down through there. And I, and I've seen it at time too, on the opposite side where maybe there's a boar that, uh, some breeders have a lot of faith in and they cover, uh, a lot of sows with them, you know, or, or whatever it may be, but if it works, it works. And I, I love the story about that, uh, going back to that hillbilly bone lineage and the sky wires it's incredible you don't hear that very often yeah uh, i think as you know as we as we and i didn't mean to cut you off as we talk about sow families if if you can use boars that that come out of good sows or good sow families i think that just enhances the, the predictability and 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 their ability to breed on and 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 sire on and and maybe sire the way they look 100 right Yep. And I think, you know, it seems like a lot of people uh, with my role now with the the Berkshire Association, it seems like I get several calls at times. People like, you know, what do you think of this boar or, you know, how, how do you think this one will breed? And, you know, at times I think a lot of people make mating decisions based off the picture they see in the boar catalog and they read the pedigree and like, oh, you know, that one might work or that's that's the popular thing now. But, you know, I think mating decisions all come down to knowing knowing the guilt or the pedigree of, of whatever you're breeding to on the south side and then um trying to find you know what attributes you need to to enhance in that particular hog but i, I think it's really interesting in the crossbred world because there's so much variation or different directions you could go and uh, making those things competitive is the biggest challenge of all because the crossbred arena is as, as tough to win as anything. Um, so it's kind of interesting to get your take on that. I think, you know, getting, getting the South family nailed down is, is a critical part. Yeah, I, I think for sure, you know, that, uh, um, getting that South family or, or that, you know, one key sow, and sometimes it, it takes some, some time to kind of, come across that sow and uh, maybe get her identified but when you do I think you you sure need to take advantage of it and try to build around her as as much as you possibly can and you know as we've we've got further down the road and and been able to 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 build some more facilities here we we kind of take the approach that uh, um, you know in the spring we sell all those gilts when there's real high demand for them and and then as we get into fall um you know, as it gets to be more of a barrel oriented market and there's not a whole lot of demand for gilts, we've got to the point where, you know, pretty much uh, every 
July and August guilt that we feel like has a chance to be good. And, and especially if they go back to one of those key style families, uh, we just keep them all. We, we build a slatted finisher. Uh, we've had it for about two years right now. And I think, uh, you know, last fall when we filled it up, we, we put about 160 of those gilts in there mm. to kind of grow out and watch them grow up in a slatted environment and let them be real hogs and, and then select kind of what we wanted to keep. And, um, you know, we, we, we got to the point, uh, I feel real excited about going forward because I feel like our sow herd, um, just in a year and a half, uh, a year and a half time, uh, has got significantly younger, uh, and significantly better by, by, um, growing those gilts in that slatted barn and, and, and keeping all of them rather than the ones that you just thought had a chance when they were little and i think the neat thing about growing those growing those things in that commercial type environment is bad pigs do not do good in that slatted barn that's true well that's true ah that's awesome no it's it's awesome and i I know uh this episode won't come out until the 9th but uh, you just if people are listening to this today on wednesday you just had an open guilt sale and i was flipping through some of them and like just some quality there. I mean, I, I was talking to Garrett, we judge a show together and he's got, or just had one and man, it's no longer getting rid of junk anymore. Uh, these hogs are good. Uh, you're selling good ones, no matter if they're baby pigs or open gilts or whatever. So, uh, it's incredible to kind of sit on the fence on the outside and kind of watch what's going on because, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. Some of the stuff, but, uh, Last thing I kind of wanted to touch on, and, and Corey, if you've got anything else or whatever, we can keep going here. But uh, I, I just kind of wanted to ask how the recovery went. I was the only one in this conversation that couldn't make it to Des Moines. Uh, but you were able to step in the ring and, and sort through those. So uh, how was the show in Des Moines, and uh, what you thought? Yeah, I thought, you know, the, the show in Des Moines, just it wasn't huge on numbers. But I thought the, the top end of the quality was uh, – um, um, real, real good. And, uh, I thought the show was well run and, uh, there's just something special about that fairgrounds in my opinion at, at uh, Des Moines and, and the Iowa state fair, I think, uh, uh, just such a historical building. And, and, you know, as I talked in grand drive, uh, uh, if you've judged pig shows or aspire to judge pig shows, the, um, that building, that setting and, and that arena sure has to be on your bucket list to, to go judge pigs in and, so it was neat to, to go ahead and get that experience and, and got to do it alongside a, uh, a guy I like to call a good friend and, and Jason Lackey. And, and uh, you know, the two ring system, I, I think, is always just a ton of fun, especially when you get to step out there with someone that uh, um, you trust and value their opinion and just kind of bounce some things off of each other. And uh, so that was a really neat experience to get to do that with Jason and do it in that venue and setting and, and like I said, I thought the top end of the hogs were just tremendously good. I thought the show was uh, very well run. And it was, you know, I thought that it was really neat to to see a show that was, you know, kind of put on by CPS and Team Purebred be able to incorporate NSR hogs too. And I think going forward that, uh, and that's a pretty neat deal when those guys can get together and, and put something like that on and, and continue to create opportunities for our youth to get out there and, and, and get after it. Well, uh, speaking for my position, I couldn't agree more uh, <laughs> with that last statement. I think that's, uh, you know, the ultimate goal we're trying to work towards is, 
uh, making sure that uh, no matter where you're at, what breed you show um, or w- what part of the country you live in, that you know we work together and continue to make opportunities available that, that are going to uh, allow anybody to show anywhere, uh, no matter what. So um, I guess the last thing we're going to throw at you, and this this is going to be interesting because we have yet to try this one. This is a new segment. So, uh, Will, you're going to be our guinea pig. Um, yeah, typically, Corey, we have like the last question every season. We and, do, yeah. And we thought, yeah, that that's cool for every every listener. But we talk a lot, I think. And this is kind of a chance for us to, to shut up, turn our mic off, and uh, just hit him with it. I think this is an exciting segment for every episode. Yeah. So uh, this this new segment is going to be called Drop the Mic, and not to be confused with the uh, show sheep buck that sold over a million dollars worth of semen out in <laughs> Iowa. Uh, this is Drop the Mic Stock Talk Edition. So, so, Corey, before you let Will in on this segment, I'd like to take a minute to introduce the new sponsor for Drop the Mic. Folks, if you're looking for a feed that is sweeping the Midwest, that has highly fortified products with unique ingredients that is consistent across the board. We're talking about Formula of Champions show feeds. To learn more on how to flip the switch and bring your program to the next level, check out formulaofchampions.com. Formula of Champions, a division of Kallenbach Feeds. But uh, So drop the mic, Will, pretty much is going to be uh, an opportunity for our guests um, to really kind of just talk about whatever's on their mind. Um, we feel like this platform has given our industry an opportunity to um, be exposed to thoughts and questions and, um, you know, a platform for for us to have a voice, I guess you could say. Um, and so I know uh, in your, your Grand Drive speech uh, in, in Des Moines, you did say you weren't one much for speeches and this doesn't necessarily have to be one of those um but you know is there just anything uh that you'd like to share piece of advice wisdom um maybe it's just hey when you go out and feed your hogs like make sure you turn the water off before you leave <laughs> i don't know uh, uh but right. that is i guess that that you know one thing that's that's weighed on my mind uh um lately is is just um, you know whether you're a feeder or whether you're a breeder trying to get your start, uh, um, or, or you're somebody that's you know feeding for a county fair or state fair and, and have real high goals. Just be positive. I think if we can all continue to stay positive and and uh, uh, keep some positivity in our, our breeding programs, our feeding programs, that uh, um, that could sure sure go a long way. You know, as we talk about what some of these things cost and 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 some of these sows cost you know we see just tons and tons of these bread sow sales and open guilt sales and some really neat uh, uh, avenues in, in terms of uh, marketing semen I, I think that's all all great uh, and it's almost I said to somebody the other day it's like the rebirth of production sales um, just in a little different kind of format and and we're selling bread sows and bread gilts instead of breeding age boars and, and open gilts like they did back in the day. So I think that's a, that's a really neat kind of deal, but I also don't want people to get discouraged. You know, as, as we, I told the story about 
Moonshine 17.4, and his mom was a, a bread gilt that I sold for 600 bucks. I think that that can still happen in the pig world. It might not be 600 bucks, but I don't think it has to be a $25,000 bread sow either. Uh, and, and that's nothing against those because we've spent a lot of money on some females that, that have dang sure worked out. And we've spent a lot of money on some females that, uh, that also didn't work out, but I think we still have, uh, you know, females that, that, that maybe didn't just cost a ton or were under the radar that maybe we saw something in, in, in terms of a piece that we thought we could reach out and grab and, and move our breeding program forward. So I, I think that that's, uh, one of those areas where people need to, to stay optimistic and, and positive in terms of um, being able to start and, and build something from the ground up. And I think the same could be said for, for the people feeding those hogs. If you, if you develop a relationship with uh, uh, maybe somebody that trades pigs that understands pedigrees really well, or you develop your uh, relationship with a breeder that understands his genetics and sow families, um, I, I still think uh, that the dream is alive to, to buy a 750 or or thousand dollar barrel and, and go win a Texas major or state fair. Uh, I honestly think it can happen. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, I alluded to it earlier in, in the, in this species and in the pig world. Um, I think that, um, you know, there's just so much diversity and so many opportunities out there that, uh, um, the underdog still has a chance and, and, uh, um, can still get it done. I think it's a good mix of, of high profile hogs getting along and, and still, you know, young breeders or, or guys getting, uh, started still have the, the ability to, to, to reach out grab a piece and get along too. Safe to say that I think the mic was dropped. <laughs> uh, and being the positive, there's too much crap in this world. Anyway, we gotta, we gotta keep this show pig deal at least positive and fun but well we we really yeah, appreciate I mean, it i i think I, I guess and i don't mean again to cut you off no, you're fine. But, uh, for example uh you know it's it's maybe not a trend anymore to to take boars to a show and show them and sell them um and uh, again it's it's no knock on any other species but i think in this pig deal you can be someone that nobody ever heard of in their life ever before and if you show up with a, at the pig show with a boar that fits people's wants and needs, you can put yourself on the map instantly with one pig or one litter of pigs and, and go from a nobody or somebody that, that they never heard of to, hey, we know who that guy is, and it happened real quick. Mm. I'm ready to run through a brick wall. Hey, listen, you just have made this association uh, executive extremely excited to hear you say that. So, uh, I, you know, I'm, I know you probably didn't do it just to butter me <laughs> up, Will, but I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it, it can happen. I just, uh, for the want and demand there are for boars right now, I, I think that, uh, you know, if you catch lightning in a bottle and you get that right female or right sow identified and it doesn't matter where she comes from, what she costs, if you show up and, and you've got the boar that everybody wants or needs, you'll be very well rewarded for it. Mm. <laughs> Love it. Oh, man. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Will, uh, I know you've had one heck of a busy uh, weekend and week here, and, and we really, really appreciate you taking time 
uh, out of that schedule to, to sit down and talk with us and, and join the show here. So can't wait to get it out there. And uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you for being uh, the positive influence in the industry that you are. And uh, it, it's awesome to, to know who you are and, and being relatively close in proximity now. So thanks again and uh, best of luck here this summer and continuing your success throughout the show season. You bet, guys. Sure, sure enjoyed it, and and Dag sure uh, enjoy listening to the podcast going down the road. So uh, glad it's back, and and glad you guys uh, are getting back after it because uh, uh, it's getting to be that time of year where guys going to spend a lot of time driving. So looking forward to to listening to what you guys got coming up this summer. Always enjoy it, and thanks for the opportunity. Well, Corey, the first guest back, I call that a success. Uh, yeah, is as good as a job as I thought we have done in the past of getting just <laughs> really, really good guests on, uh, man, what a way to kick off 2021 edition of stock talk. Yeah. Very appreciative of Will taking time out of his busy schedule. He was telling us before we recorded, uh, last night or the night before we recorded this, he got home at 1am, spent a full day doing stuff when he got home. Running on fumes, just kind of like the rest of us are. But you know, it's it's the fact that guys like Hilty in our business take the time to help help a couple guys out, trying to uh, continue to spread the good news and the good stories in our industry out. My uh, on a Sunday evening when we recorded, so yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, he. I mean, he's just one of those guys. I, I kind of alluded to it in the episode that. Uh, I never been to his place, always wanted to go, and I should have gave him way more notice than I did, uh, but I judged a, a show relatively close by, and I just sent him a text, and I thought there's no way in hell anybody would let me in their place like two hours before, and sure enough, he's like, yeah, got some chores to do, just come you know, a little later in the morning, and it was an excellent visit, um, loved the place, checked things out, it was kind of at a weird time, but he, he you know... He still did it. So really glad we got him on. There's a lot of uh, folks out there that wanted to get him uh, on. And he even said at the beginning, he's like, hey, this isn't my deal. This isn't my thing. So uh, I'll just be open with that. You would never know it. I mean, very, very good, I thought. so. Yeah, yeah we could have had another couple hours worth of content. He, he didn't even know if we could fill up an hour. but Yeah, we could have done another for sure. Well, I hope uh, our listeners enjoyed uh, Drop the Mic. That was uh, a test run, something Corey and I have been thinking about during the offseason there. Um, I always felt like maybe with some of our past guests and past episodes that we're like, man, we should have, should have, could have, would have this, or what if they had something extra they wanted to say? So that gives every guest, if you're out there and you're potential guests or you come on eventually, that is going to be the opportunity to just open up uh, whatever you need needs to be said. Obviously, it will be filtered if it needs to be, but uh, but that's an opportunity for a guest to really, um, if there's something weighing on them, uh, to like you said, Corey, to give them a voice. So anyway, uh, really loved our conversation there. We're looking forward uh, to more and more content. Folks, uh, do not forget to call our mobile number. We are starting to get some funny ones in. Uh, we're getting dad jokes. We're getting some welcome back calls. So I'm loving that. 
but don't be afraid to call about other reasons because this was built for Breed'em, Ship'em, Show'em. We didn't have one this, this, this week. But if you've got a burning question, a burning message, a, a birthday shout-out, here's the number to call. 234-320-0457. That's 234-320-0457. No doubt this could be the most exciting thing Stock Talk brings to the table in 2021. And uh, I mean, we've we've gotten some voicemails. We we cannot play over the air. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just, and and hey, if you have those type, of, just call it in anyway because we love listening to them. We'll listen and, to them. Uh, That's right. And, and we might try to get a hold of you individually on yeah. those. But uh, yeah, keep uh, keep the positive calls coming in. Uh, if you got something, hey, fellas, I don't like that you talked about this, or or maybe. I have a different opinion on this subject that you guys talked about. Hey, bring it on, share it. That's why, that's why we have this platform uh, to open up the world to all thoughts and opinions and views. And by all means, we are not perfect and uh, don't expect our audience to think we're perfect. So that's right. Well, folks, welcome back. We are excited. Uh, All the farmers are out in the fields. All the showmen are on the way to the show. And we're glad to have something added to your trip to listen to, potentially. Or just in your showborn like normal. Anyhow, we're glad to be here, folks. Thank you so much for all the support that we've got to come back for the 2021 season. We'll see you next time.